take our Bibles, and uh, we'll be getting to Titus 3 in just a little bit here. Uh, Last week, we spent our time talking about grace, and wherever you see grace in the Bible, you're going to see mercy. And so tonight, we're going to deal with the word mercy, my favorite definition, you cannot find this in a... uh, Dictionary, encyclopedia, or anything, because I made it up myself. Uh, No. Uh, Based on the Bible and those things, mercy is what the defeated receives at the hand of the victor. Mercy is given to the vanquished by the victor, yet mercy must be received in order for it to do any good. Uh, There have been many stories that have been told. Uh, I remember one, uh, do believe that there was some truth to this story, that it wasn't just made up as an illustration, but a a young man was convicted uh, of a crime, and everyone believed that the evidence was tainted. There was a problem. This was many years ago before the turn of the last century. And the judge contacted the governor and and explained the entire case to him. And the governor, as, as he understood everything, says, I, I will give, uh, uh, write out a full pardon, but I want one condition. It will only be given to the man to reprieve him from the death penalty if he will willingly accept it. Because they had told the judge that upon the conviction, the man had become very sullen and bitter and refused to talk to anybody. And uh, his lawyer came in and said, I would like to talk to you. He wouldn't see him. He pleaded with him right up until the day of his execution. And as far as we know, the story as I heard it simply said that this man refused to have any contact with anyone and paid the penalty for a crime that he had a full pardon for because he refused to willingly accept the pardon. You see, that's how mercy works. And yet there's a a part of mercy that is different. Grace, as we study grace, the emphasis is on the goodness of God. It's on God's ability to overcome who we are, to bring us through judgment. Mercy has a different emphasis. The emphasis in the word mercy, I was reading through an encyclopedia just trying to look a Bible encyclopedia and it said the chief element of mercy is God's pity, God's compassion on the wretched state of those who have rebelled against him. How many of you have lived long enough to understand that there's a reason that verse is in the Bible, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Uh, Sin always destroys The greatest lie that the devil tells is that somehow something good is going to happen if you just sin a little bit. Uh, Didn't work out too well for Eve in the garden, now did it? And it will never work out 
In fact, if we can just chase one of these political things, uh, the hot topic of our uh, day is abortion. And, of course, here's what they say. Say, well, of course you believe in abortion in the case of rape and incest. And uh, that, that's what the world says. And if you do not, you are cruel, you are inhuman, you are a terrible person. And yet, let me ask you a question. How do we help someone that has already suffered great sin by putting them into a place where they're going to sin more? That young person, you know, they always use the most pitiful examples. A a young girl who does not understand even life has been attacked and all of these things. But let me tell you, when you get a little older, you start to understand, you've got to keep things the Bible way. You do not solve anything by adding sin. You do not make anything better. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's a reason that verse is in there. And as God looks at you and I, He sees all of our sin. And He sees the death and the destruction and the judgment of God that that brings upon us. And God is moved. He cares. Only He can have compassion on us while we are still in rebellion towards Him. And so the main context we want to add to this word mercy is the idea of God's tender compassion, His concern for the destruction that sin puts in our life. And I I don't care what sin it is. It always brings forth death. And so as we look at mercy, the first thing that we have to stop at as we come through the Bible, we get to the book of Exodus and there are all the plans for the tabernacle and we've just gone through that. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time looking up scripture. We just want to reference the mercy seat was the center of Old Testament worship. The mercy seat was where the blood was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement that rolled back. That's what the word atonement has, the idea of rolling back, of making an agreement. God says, I am not going to judge sin yet. I see the blood of that lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat there in the tabernacle, later in Solomon's temple. After Solomon's temple is destroyed, there was no mercy seat, and it has yet to be found. And if you really want to get the Arab world going crazy, start talking about finding the Jewish Ark of the Covenant. Oh, my. Because in their minds, that would prove every Old Testament truth true. Uh, We don't need to find the Ark to know that every Old Testament truth is already true. And yet, there's a part of me that still thinks because the temple is going to be rebuilt for the tribulation period, that we just might find that ark 
of the covenant. Oh, what a day that would be. If there was any place I wanted to go, I would want to go and see. As a Gentile, I would have to stand in the distance uh, and gladly would I do that and watch them open the temple in Jerusalem if the rapture hasn't already happened yet. We we don't know how all those things are going to happen. But I, I will tell you, the mercy seat is the absolute center of God's worship. It is the place where sin was atoned in the Old Testament. Of course, it was the cross where Jesus redeemed us and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, which is the very throne of God. And you can go to Hebrews chapter 9 and read those verses there. Mercy is the very essence of who God is. Only God can love us and not compromise His holiness. Only God can be merciful and just at the same time. I mean, if you really want something to get your mind working, one of the things that, and we'll probably spend a Thursday night on this, the holiness of God. God never has one time transgressed His Word. Yes, in the Old Testament it says God got angry and He thought to do this and then God didn't do it and everybody, see there, God changed His mind. Excuse me? Was not God putting a display of His mercy for you and I as human beings to see? the mercy of God in action. Amen? Hello? And so, we start at the mercy seat. Now, if you're at Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, we want to read these tonight. It says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things will I that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And he goes on to warn against foolish and vain questions and, and genealogies and all of the endless debate that is in the world today. But I, I want you to understand that the chief reason why any of us are saved today is because the God of the Bible is a merciful God. He is willing to give us something that we have no right to ask. Mercy is God willing to give us something that we have no right to ask for and that He has no demands to give. That's what makes mercy... So wonderful. God does not have to forgive us. 
that attitude is one of the strong underlayments or opinions of all false religion. You see, I put so much money in the offering plate, I go to church, I do this good work, I participate in this ceremony, and that raises me to a level where God must forgive my sins. I want to challenge you, that's blasphemous. Mercy is God saying, I will forgive your sins based on the finished work of Christ to whosoever will. You see, we live in a world where mercy is so misunderstood. My little boys, they like to wrestle with that. And I love to wrestle with little boys. But there comes a point when they stop being little boys, and then I don't want to wrestle anymore uh, uh, because I might get hurt. Uh, And and so uh, very careful about those things. And uh, But yet, many times we will go and, and wrestle and a little bit, and I'll pin them down or whatever, and then I let them up, and they start all over again. I say, whoa, wait a minute, that's over. That's finished. No, it's not. And, and uh, it's cute at home, but in the real world, this is where we live. We live in a world where there is no such thing as victory, There's no such thing as defeat. And I want to promise you, without defeat, you cannot receive mercy. Because the victor cannot extend to you that which you do not deserve, that which he has no demands to offer you, because he must constantly watch himself. This has happened many times to our soldiers as they have fought in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and different places in this war on terror where uh, uh, someone will pretend to surrender just so they can set off a bomb and kill American soldiers. You see, that idea precludes mercy. And we have many people in the religious world that do the same thing. The number one answer we get when we pass out tracts, at least I get when I pass out, oh, I'm okay. And I really want to say, really? I I wish you'd take just a few minutes and examine that statement. Oh, and and over the years I've had some interesting times when there's been opportunity. Oh, man, the man upstairs, we have it all worked out. I said, if you had it all worked out, you wouldn't call him that. You couldn't call him that. That attitude tells me that you are in mortal danger of eternity without God. People say, well, I'm I'm good as the next guy. Well, you know, somebody lived beside Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, that's great. Go ahead. Uh, Don't compare yourselves to others. The Bible tells us that that's not wise. We need to understand something. We cannot earn 
or deserve our salvation. And if we'll get a hold of that fact, then look what it says here in the passage we just read. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. I don't know. Uh, Most of us at one time or another in our life have experienced human kindness. where, Where someone was just simply kind to us. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, I remember one time many years ago, my uh, wife and I were visiting in Florida. We were actually visiting churches trying to raise money to come here to New York. And I I knew uh, some people that used to have a restaurant in my hometown in Westminster, Maryland, and then had moved to Clearwater um, or to uh, the uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. And so my wife and I went there for... Uh, a meal at the restaurant, and uh, and so we walked in, and I uh, talked to the people there, and he said, "You know Cosmos," and brought us out a nice big, uh, brought us out and said, "Would you like some wine on the house?" And, no, 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 we don't do that. Uh, well, let us at least give you some dessert and all of the. I mean, it was just nice. I mean, all we, all I did, the guy wasn't even there. Uh, that I had met when I was growing up in Maryland, but we uh, just mentioning his name and that I knew him, they, they were very kind to us, and the, and the meal was uh, very memorable. You know, kindness is a wonderful thing. And when kindness is spurned, I, I know very few things that are more hurtful than that. When you actually reach out of your own self to be kind, when you go out of your way and someone just says, I deserve that. What's wrong with you? You think you're doing something special? How many of you have had that happen? Most of us have had it at one time or another. The reason I bring up the human illustration, and we'll get to the human part in just a minute, do we do that to God? Do, do we presume upon His kindness? You see, that's why God is merciful to us. He doesn't have to forgive us. He doesn't have to take us to heaven. He doesn't have to offer us any hope. But because God is so good, because God is so full of grace, because God is merciful... He extends His love toward us when we do not deserve it. And all He wants us to do is to accept His mercy. And I challenge you, you cannot accept mercy until you stop fighting. You cannot accept mercy until you admit an unconditional surrender. That's how you get saved. When we stop trying to help God save us, when we stop trying to save ourselves, it is the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, 
Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. Now, here's God's mercy. This is what it does in our life. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing of regeneration. That's re, the word regeneration means bring back to life. To make again. God, that's why it's called being born again. Amen. God regenerates us. But in order to do that, what's he got to do? He's got to give us a bath. How many sins did God forgive when He saved you? All of them. Amen. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That work that happens inside the believer the moment they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. At that moment, God cleanses us from every sin that we've ever sinned. And He puts His Holy Spirit in us to renew that relationship with God that we lost the day that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It says that He shed this abundantly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How many of you have been discouraged by all the politics going on right now in this country? Just the hatred and the virulence. I mean, I have been. You know why? Because I took my eyes off of the Lord and His goodness and put it on man and what they're doing. That's how simple it is. You know, uh, old Pastor Nielsen, some of you may remember him. I was going through some files and there was a sermon uh, preached by Brother Nielsen in this church. And I, I just couldn't listen to it because... He's been with the Lord several years, and, uh, and I just was like, wow, that, that, I'm glad I know I have it, but uh, I'm just not ready to listen to it. He was a friend. He helped me personally a lot over the years that we were here in the city. And, and uh, his definition of discouragement was this, it's forgetting who God is. Well, Paul gives us a working definition right here. It's forgetting that you're an heir of the hope of eternal life. It's taking your attention off eternity and putting it on something temporal. This mercy that God has given us gives us the hope of eternal life. When we receive God's mercy into our life, it says that we need to be faithful and constantly affirm that we should maintain good works. You see, God saves us, but the reason we live the Christian life, uh, I've met many people over the years and, and they'll, they'll go so far in their relationship with God, then it starts getting tough because they got to give up some things maybe that they want to hold on to or 
they just don't want to make that final commitment because they're afraid that God might do something with them. Don't ever be afraid of God. Do you remember how you got saved? Unconditional surrender. Then God gives you His mercy. To receive His mercy is what demands me to maintain good works in my life. That's why you can not get weary in well-doing. Because the strength to continue the well-doing is supposed to come from a proper understanding of God's mercy that He has given us. It's the renewing of the Holy Ghost, and it doesn't stop when you get saved. It helps you every day that you understand and you serve Him. And we're to be careful to maintain good works. We are to live as heirs of the hope of eternal life. That's why Paul said, if you want to turn there, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by what? How many of you got it memorized? Let's say it out loud. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the... uh, Three of you. Okay, let's try it again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You see, don't ever get over God's mercy. If you do, you'll presume upon His grace and His kindness. You cannot insult God anymore than to come up with an attitude that somehow I deserve something better from the Lord. And I'll tell you, there's every one of us here, if you've been saved long enough, there's come a time in your life where you just, well, you know, uh, I've been working hard and I've been trying this and doing this and everything just isn't working out the way I want. Well, wait a minute. I'm an heir of eternal life. Because of God's mercy, because of my unconditional surrender to Him, receiving His work and the Word and the hope of eternal life, it is a reasonable service for me to present my body as a living sacrifice. Aren't you glad God didn't say a burnt offering? Some people say, ah, I'd much rather do that. It only hurt a few minutes and then I'll be in heaven. This living thing is where it's tough. Yeah, it is. And mercy, mercy is what keeps us going. Understanding mercy. You see, it's the mercies of God that allow me to present my body a living sacrifice It is the mercies of God that keep me from being conformed to this world. Everywhere you go in this world in which we live, you go to the Christian bookstore, and every book on the self-help shelf is how to be a more worldly Christian and still please God. Uh, They don't tell you that, but if you read what's in the books, that's exactly where they're going. 
The music of the world is all trying to draw us away from God and put us closer to the world. We get battered and beaten from every direction, every person. Well, I just want to bring a little sense to this. You know, we just need to stop making issues of these things and get along. Well, the point I would like to make is who started the issue? You know, we've got a Bible here that people want to argue about. Now, in the English language, we had this Bible from 1611, and there wasn't a new translation or any competition whatsoever until 1881, and nobody paid any attention to the 1881. In fact, if you have one of the uh, American Revised Versions, 1881, or the English Revised Version of 1881, that is a very rare book. It's a collector item. Nobody reads them. Because it's a rotten translation. It really is. And then they came out with the New Revised Standard and the American Revised Standard and the New American Revised Standard and the New Schofield and the New International Version and the Ebonics Version and the Good News and the Message and uh, all of these 153 translations somebody counted up. Now, for... From 1611, yes, there were some arguments in 1611 up into the 1620s. But when people began to investigate this thing, they realized that this is the best thing we've ever had in English. Why argue about it? Up until about 1950 is when it really started getting violent. In 1970, things started super changing, even in fundamental circles. Uh, let me ask you a question. Who started the battle? If I can be a little cynical, the people who wanted to make money by printing the new Bibles. The intelligentsia who wanted people to seek to them instead of just reading your Bible. You know, that was the whole ploy of the Catholic Church during the Middle Ages, is you cannot understand your Bible. You have to have the priest. Only the church can interpret the Bible. It was John Wycliffe that said, I want the plowboy to understand the Bible better than the priest. And the reason he said that was most of the Catholic priests in the 1300s in England could not read or write. If you're going to read the Bible... You've got to learn how to read. And so Wycliffe put it into the Old English, and those Bibles went all throughout that country and changed things. We're not, uh, let's just take a moment, go to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to move to one last point here, and then, and then we'll be finished on our study of mercy. I, I want you to realize something. If we're going to take advantage of God's mercy, if we're going to live in God's mercy, we've got to get our attention off man and start putting it on God. We've got to realize that all these battles and all these arguments and all these things that everybody's floating around is taking our attention off God and putting it somewhere else. Let's keep our heart and let's keep 
our minds. Let's keep our, our, our life direction centered on the mercy, on the goodness of God. And stop arguing about all these things that everybody wants to argue about. Verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy. Now, how many of you know what that word bowels means? It just means your innards. We got Joey up here going, bowels. Yep, that's exactly what it's talking about. And... Uh, in modern English, we say, I love you with all of my heart. Well, in the language of our King James Bible, in the Greek from which it was taken, it was, I yearn upon you with all of my insides. I love you with all my guts. Don't tell your girlfriend that. It won't get you very far. Just stick with the culture, all right? But... Uh, what he's saying here is, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's anything that gives you comfort from knowing Jesus Christ, if there's any comfort in the love of the brethren and the love of God, if there's any fellowship that the Holy Spirit gives us, if there's any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. How do we do that? I want to challenge you that the way we do that is by plugging our life personally into the mercies of God. Is by accepting those mercies. How do we accept that mercy? I stop trying. I remember years ago, someone said, What are you going to do with all those kids in New York City? I said, My wife and I, and grandkids there. Um, my, my wife and I, we gave up on that a long time ago. We said, Lord, you're going to have to take care of it. And I'll tell you what, He has. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we're anything. It's because God is full of mercy. He will not give you something He will not provide for. God will keep you. And here is the ultimate truth of this. If I am operating on the motivation upon the power source of God's mercy, and you are operating on that same power source, do you think we might be acting a little bit the same way? Do you think there might be a little overlap of God's mercy in our daily behavior and practice? I want to challenge you. There is, in fact, if we read on here, it says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. How do we get there? By operating from and under the influence and direction of God's mercy. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the merciful. How do you become a merciful person? Oh, if we could put that in a serum and just give everybody an injection. 
be a wonderful thing now, wouldn't it? But it doesn't work that way. What will cause me to look at other people in their plight, in their difficulties, the same way God looks at me in mine? I've got to be full of the mercy of God. I've got to be controlled. I've got to allow it to control the thought processes that come in my mind and in my heart so that when I look at others, I can look at them the way that God wants us to. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? If you're in Philippians, it's just a few pages in your Bible. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start reading... Uh, in verse 10, Colossians chapter 3, it says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, I just want to challenge you that mankind has tried to attain to this goal. Mankind has, uh, it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. that talked about a colorblind society. Hasn't worked out very well now, has it? The United Nations says we want, a, we want a world where all men are created equal. Well, I'll tell you what, here's how you do it. But Christ is all and in all. It's only in the church of Jesus Christ where we have this dropping of our boundaries and our, who we are. And we can lose ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ and truly care for one another the way that we should as human beings, that's called mercy. You see, when God's mercy fills me and controls me, I must be merciful toward others. And if I try any shortcuts, what happens is pride, self-reliance, how many of you ever have been helped by someone and you later found out that they were helping themselves by helping you? I'll tell you, I've, I've had that experience and it, you just feel betrayed. You feel betrayed right down to the depth of your soul. Because the only reason this person was being nice to me is because of what they were getting out of it. There's nothing more vicious than taking advantage of another person's injury to better yourself. Really, that's what false religion is, isn't it? If I am going to earn my way to God by doing good deeds, then you need to be a poor, miserable slob so I can do something good and earn my way to heaven, right? I'm glad the Bible's not that way. It's based on God's mercy to all men. And when we allow God's mercy to fill us, then we can reach out to others. And it says, Put on, therefore, verse 12, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, 
If any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I'll tell you, you can't improve on the Bible. And if we want God to bless our church, if we want God to bless you in your individual life, we've got to get a hold of these verses. You see, it's only by God's mercy that we have been saved. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice. Why? Because it is our reasonable service. It is absolutely without question that as Jesus gave his life on the cross so that we might be set free from our sin, something we have no right to demand or expect from God, that he could and should expect a surrender of our life to him. And by the way, if you could live the fully surrendered life to God's mercy, who benefits the most? You do, not God. And I have met so many people over the years, and they said, well, I just want to help somebody. Well, how do you want to do that? Well, I want to take blankets to the homeless in the wintertime so they can be warm. And, and I don't want a homeless person freezing on the streets of our city. I, I do not want that. But I am not for making the homeless more comfortable in their homelessness. I am for helping them find a way out of the prison that they have put themselves in because they've rejected God's mercy in their life. And see, now you become vicious and mean and evil-spirited. No, you're not going to help anybody by adding to their sin. But... God's mercy looks past our sin and allows God to have pity on us for the miserable state that we have put ourselves in. And God's mercy reaches down a hand, and if we'll just reach up, I'll tell you what, He'll grab a hold. That's mercy. And when I've received that mercy, guess what? I need to reach out and grab a hold of somebody else. That's called soul winning. Amen? I I need to live a life that will forgive others as Christ has forgiven me. The Bible says that putting on charity, that living in God's love, that's the biblical definition of charity. Love in action is the bond of perfectness. How many of you would like to be perfect? Now, nobody's perfect. No, right here it says we can be in the bond of perfectness, that if we'll live in God's love, we will have an attachment there that connects us to the person and the power of Almighty God that allows us to live in a love relationship with God in a world that's full of hate. That's mercy. Mercy is a wonderful thing. Take advantage of God's mercy. Live in God's mercy. Let God's mercy direct us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we...